Driven Minds Podcast. This is Franz Bowen. This is Trav Weeks. And with another installment, season four, the Driven Mind Podcast. And we have another ill guest in the building. Yes, sir. Uh, author, uh, high school principal, um, producer, life coach, entrepreneur, Damn. Mr. Sean Larry Stevens. There you go. Wow. Golf clap. That sounds good. <laughs> Golf clap. Oh, man. Thank you Talented guys for brother. having me. I appreciate this. Right, man. Thank you for coming through. So um, how we actually got connected was um, through a good brother, uh, Kashim Brown, mm-hmm. who, um, you know, who's a listener to the show, Big Up Kashim. And, um, you know, he said, you know, I have somebody that you guys really should speak to. <laughs> and then uh, we got on the phone. We were supposed to do this a little while ago, but you right, mean, right, uh, right. globe trotting. <laughs> a little bit. And he's bit. back. Vacation. He's joining us, man. Um, so, so, you know, uh, hopefully you've been enjoying your your, your time off, but yeah. you're about to go back in, in, into work in like the next week. And mm-hmm. um, tell us a little bit about what, what you do. So, man, that's a hard question. I do a lot. I guess my, my day job, my passion, my career is uh, a high school principal. I'm a principal in Newark, New Jersey at a KIPP school, Newark Collegiate uh, Academy. Shout out to all my students. Um, uh, but I like I do a lot of different stuff. Like I think I think God has put me on this earth to sort of like speak life into people, uh, to support people, to help people, to serve as a, an, a role model of example of excellence uh, for young black men who, who don't see um, the most positive, I guess, uh, portrayals of who we are uh, as a people, as a as an entity. And so um, I, 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 I'm a published author, like you, like you mentioned, I published my first book uh, in 2012 called Unseen Thoughts. And it was a, a collection of uh, spoken word pieces and some reflections that I had on life on the things that brought me from the inner city. Um, I say from the inner city to the Ivy League. I'm a Cornell University graduate. Um, and so once, once I sort of graduated college, I was pre-med in, in college. I wanted to become a doctor. I wanted to be a cardiologist most of my life. Uh, and decided uh, because of a relationship I was in, actually, sadly, I, I decided I didn't want to go to med school because I wanted to move closer back home. Uh, moved back home, went to grad school, uh, became an educator, joined Teach for America, fell in love with the classroom, fell in love with kids. I was in Washington, D.C. at one of the lowest performing junior high schools in the entire uh, city. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you know anything about D.C.'s public schools, it's the lowest performing school district in the entire country. So technically, Whoa, you could say, yeah, it's ironically, crazy. right, because that's our, con- our country's capital. You can, you can technically say I was in like the lowest performing school in all of the country. Um, very challenging situation. I remember getting, you know, getting hired on Friday, work started on Monday, got my keys, got my room and got like a math textbook and the principal just said, go. Wow. And yeah, didn't know anything about being a, an educator. And then uh, the year after I became a, a dean of students. So I went into administration super, super early, um, became a principal really young at 25. Um, and ever since then, I've been doing, you know, the good work. That's it. Wow, no, that's yeah. tremendous, man! Like, uh, first of all, whoever it was that helped you make that transition, you know, what I'm saying? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's a great thing, but uh, it was a good thing. It was a good thing. You know, what I'm saying in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. What's what's it what's it like? I mean, you know, administratively, and what's the difference between you know being um in the classroom and then mm. being the person that kind of officiates? Yeah. Um. So like I'm a I'm a lifelong learner and a lifelong teacher. Mm. Uh, and I think the most important person in the building is the teacher, right? Like I look for great teachers everywhere. Um, I love teaching. I, I have such a passion for teachers for teaching. So when my teachers are out, I'm the first that's like, yo, can I step in? Like shoot me that lesson plan. I'm going to go and teach. Uh, actually next year, I'm going back into the classroom. I'm teaching freshmen, uh, which I'm really excited about. And I'm a little bit nervous because I still have a whole build in the run. Mm. But I think it's so important that teachers see that I'm not just like talking the talk, but I can walk the walk as well. You know, mm. a lot of principals, even principals I've worked for in the past, um, you know, will s- s- 
talk about theory and talk about like do this in the classroom, do that in the classroom. Uh, and when I think back, I'm like, wow, I never even seen you teach. Like you, you're telling me all this stuff, and like, mm. can you actually do this? Absolutely, um, it's a whole so, different world yeah, once you in front of kids. You got to be in the battlefield, and mm. like, um, I love being in the battlefield. I will step into the classroom. Uh, I know, I would I thank the Lord. I never had a challenge like when I was a teacher. I didn't struggle with behavior management. Kids sat down when I said sit down. Kids because I was like relating to them and understood and met them on their level. Mm. Um, but also, no, I was I was like a twenty year old teacher with like 16, 17 year old kids. So they're right, so, right there. As yeah, far as generations. Uh, which could have which could have been bad though, right? Because I'm like it's fresh out of college and you sixteen, seventeen. I'm only twenty and I gotta tell you, I gotta teach you math and like tell you to sit down right, and right. you gotta listen to me, right? When yeah. I look like you and I'm only three or four years older than you. Mm. Um, but the 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 major difference is that, I mean, it's a heavy burden to bear. But I have to think, I have to think about everything every second. You know, educators, we are among all industries. We make the most decisions um, out of any industry except for air traffic controllers, right? And when you think about an air traffic controller who is responsible for millions of lives on a daily basis across the entire world where planes flying and you know one mistake you could two two planes could potentially crash right i think of my life and my job as that as well mm. um every decision that i make i have to think about what's the impact on kids what's the impact on families what's the impact on the community what are my teachers going to think what is this person going to think um and so i'm constantly like on the move and on the go uh but you have to sort of like step back i think the major difference is that the the amount of decisions that i have to make affect more than just the 30 kids like in your classroom i have to think about the 900 kids in my building and the 112 staff members that i have um which is a very very heavy burden to bear you know absolutely one of the things i find um interesting about you um with all the things that you do um you definitely have a wide range of skill set but you seem like somebody that's very aware of their purpose Mm. so where did that come from? Like, when did you find your purpose? I always say, like, um, especially even for my case, is like you either know what you want to do or you find your purpose and you build around that. Yeah. What was the series of events or what, what went off in your head? What what made you want to become this, you know, to exemplify, you know, yeah. what, what these things a man should be, how a man should walk through this life? Right. When did that start? Man, I think it started... It started real, real early for me. I don't. I can't say that like I found my purpose like in fourth grade. But the one thing, the one like visual that sticks out, and the one story that sticks out that I often tell some of my kids is, you know, growing up in the hood, we we had to, uh, we didn't have much. We have, I'm one of a million siblings. I'm one of nine. Uh, we were raised by my grandmother. My my father my father was a drug dealer, um, drug smuggler. My mother was heavily addicted, still heavily addicted to drugs, and never been never in our life. So our grandmother, you know, wow. she would have a baby. Drop it off with my grandmother. My grandmother, I love you, Ma, um, is the backbone of our existence. And I just remember, you know, growing up in Section 8, welfare, like going to the corner store to get, we had, we didn't have EBT cards back then. We had like the physical food stamps. And I remember, you know, every first of the month was a very exciting time for us. It was the time where we got to like order Chinese that night. It was, you know, good for like two to three days. And we used to go to the corner store with food stamps um, and, we actually had to use to we I used to meet some of my uncles and aunts and cousins and sell them food stamps to get cash back for my grandmother. Wow. Uh, and so th- that earliest memory made me think of like what is the thing that is missing from my life that 
that is different than what I see on television. One of my favorite shows growing up was Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Mm. And I always thought, like, this is what life should be. Like, look at the, you know, we see we grew up on Cosby Show, Different World, Black Excellence, college T-shirts mm-hmm. and sweaters. Like, I saw all that and was like, well, why nobody in my, like, why my uncle in the corner, you know, selling drugs? Or why my mother in the back, you know, you know, burning a spoon, smoking crack? Um, and there was like a, a grave disconnect that I couldn't understand. Um, and so I, I remember Carlton, uh, the character Carlton on the Freshman sticking out and always saying, I, I want to go to Princeton. I want to go to Princeton. I want to go to Princeton like my dad. Wow. And for a long time, I thought that like I was that Will Smith who had this rich uncle who had like a crazy cousin uh, who wanted to go to this one of the most prestigious universities across the country. Um, and I think now, think in, re- in retrospect, I'm thankful to be like the Uncle Phil for my family now, which is really powerful. But that that visualization, that story, that show. And me going to school with going to school, having to wrap my textbooks with, you know, paper bags, uh, Mm. you know, all that stuff stands out to me as like, I need to invest in my education and figure something out because there's something that's missing from what I'm seeing on television, which I know could exist and what I'm experiencing in this household. Uh, And so it just it pushed me to invest in my my education and really like buckle down and teach myself how to read and like open up and so we didn't have books in the house but like we had an encyclopedia like old school Britannica A through Z mm-hmm. and I used to just sit and read the encyclopedia wow. um, so growing up. was this mostly for the most part self will was it anybody that came like us oh, is something special about this kid that mm. tried to like nurture your growth yeah my pastor my pastor did like later on in life like when I started to really become aware of what's what the world was um my pastor came into my life and like took me under his wing I felt like I really felt like his 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 other son. You know, I would go on trips with them, and um, I really you know best friends with 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 um, his son. And so like he came into my life and said, you know what, we're there's something bigger. Um, I was playing instruments in church. I was heavily involved in, in in my church, and I think you know between between God and God putting people in my life who really spoke life into me that I didn't get to see pulled out the best of me and pushed me to to be the best version of myself. Fire. So you're at a a, a charter school, correct? Mm-hmm. What is the, um, you know, for people who are aware, what is the difference between, you know, a, a, a public um, establishment yeah. and a charter school? Good question. So um, <laughs> I can dispel a lot of beliefs. I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, charter schools, uh, public charter schools really is a technical term. We are uh, publicly funded but privately owned. Uh, and what that means is that we operate on the same amount of money that uh, all traditional public schools get. So we actually get percentage less than uh, traditional public schools because we are uh, public charters. The The major difference is that we we have to like, not sign contracts, but like we, ha- we hold teachers to a higher bar. We have a lot of accountability. We have the freedom to fire whenever we want to. Mm. And in traditional public schools, you can't. So you right. might have a, a teacher who's been doing this for 20 years and is tenured and like coasting and chilling and kids are not moving. The academic data sucks. Uh, you can see the the apathetic nature that this he or she brings to, to work every day. Mm-hmm. And you can't fire this teacher. Uh, and I'm not saying that like firing teachers is the thing that I do, not at all, right. um, because they are the most important people in the building. But if you are not coming and bringing your best self to to work, like why should you have a job? There are people out here who are who are still searching for jobs, who are great people, mm-hmm. great teachers. I get email messages, emails, text messages, Instagram messages. Hey, are y'all hiring? Like I, I heard great things about your school. I want to come work for you. Um, and I can hire I can hire whoever I want and fire whoever I want. And so I think we have autonomy and freedom that a lot of traditional public schools don't. Mm-hmm. Um, we have um, 
we have the ability to create our own curriculum and say, like, we don't want to do that. Right. The only thing that we have to hold ourselves accountable to, though, is getting great test scores. Right. And so we pride ourselves on trying to beat out all the traditional public schools, whatever region that we're in, whether you're in Newark or St. Louis or in Miami or in, in the Mississippi Delta. Uh, we pride ourselves on trying to make sure that we are educating kids and sending them off to college. Um, and I'm thankful that last year we sent 92 percent of our students um, to a two or four year university. Wow, that's amazing. That's yeah. dope. I always wanted to ask about that. Like, um, I have a question for you. So, yeah. I mean, you are on the podcast. We do you feel if teachers are paid more, right? Because I always thought about like this: if you took the teachers in like the lowest performing states or cities or whatnot, and you increase all their payment to a quarter million dollars a year. Mm. Do you think that activates them to really get more involved in their students' lives, to try to really push, you know, um, grades to be higher, to push a, a higher graduation rate? Do you feel like the the, the money compensation is, is reflects the actual amount of work or, you know, um, 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 input they mm -hmm. put in, in in these kids' lives compared to uh, another school that's just paying them average so they come in and whatnot and do yeah. whatever they want? Uh, I'm... Oh man, that's hard. I, I'm I'm fifty fifty on this, and here's why: because mm. I'm the first person. My, if, when my boss listens to this, she's gonna laugh. Mm. Um, I'm the first person to demand a, a, a Bitcoin, um, nice. and and so I, I think, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I encourage, and you know, sidebar, I encourage people to always negotiate their salaries and know your worth, and never work for less than what you are. There you go. Um, so I I think we so traditionally charter schools pay more than traditional public schools. Okay. The re, but we have longer hours, right? Traditional public schools, you might roll in at 8.15 and you might leave at like 3.30. My teachers, the first meeting I have, a, my assistant principals, I meet with them every morning at 7 a.m. At 7.20, we meet with the entire staff and I have a meeting at 7.37. Our students are walking in the building at 8 o'clock. The first class starts. Last class ends at 4.19. Uh, we might have debrief meetings, but like teachers are on from like 7.15 to essentially 5 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And so we do have to pay you more because you're working longer hours. Um, we are the, the most uh, under-respected under <laughs> uh, professions in the entire country. And, and it, it's really unfortunate because when you go to places like Finland and Norway and Sweden and North Korea, and mm -hmm. um, these places where when teachers walk into the room, like a principal walks into the room and people bow. Wow. Right? I'm not asking nobody. I don't want nobody bowing <laughs> to me. But, but, but the... the, the it's so revered, the profession there. Like teachers uh, in, in those countries are like doctors here, right? We love doctors. We give yeah. our faith. We give our money. They make a ton of money, right? Mm -hmm. they, they're in school forever. Um, and just teachers are not respected in that same way. While I don't think that you can throw money at the problem, I think for the last four decades, we've been throwing tons of money and initiatives and these quote unquote innov innovative ideas um, at the problem, at the closing the achievement gap between black students and white students. Um, but we can see that the, the achievement gap hasn't narrowed much. And so we can, like Mark Zuckerberg, you know, he, th he threw what, something like 500 million, 100 million yeah. into Newark schools yeah, yeah, yeah. in 2010. And like, what did that do? The, ne the needle didn't move. The wow. needle, the money was mismanaged. The school, like, nothing, nothing, um, nothing impactful truly happened as a result of that money. Uh, and so that's just one example of like, you can't just throw money at the problem and people go into teaching because they're, we're a different type of people. Like we, I, I literally, not to toot my own horn with as many degrees that I got and I'm about to, I'm, I'm in a doctorate program now, so I'll be Dr. Stevens pretty soon. <laughs> I could <know>? essentially, <laughs> I could essentially Dope. work anywhere I want. Like mm -hmm. I, I can make, you know, I'm a black man who was raised in the hood and is about to become a doctor. I could work anywhere that I want. 
my passion for kids and me being able to step in front of my students and say, like, yes, you can and prove the possible is so important to me. Mm -hmm. So we don't go into the profession for money. And I don't think that you can throw money at it and like extrinsically motivate people. Mm -hmm. We are like intrinsic by nature. Um, because of who we are, because we go, we are in those professions. Now, money makes it better, right? right? My teachers are always like, pay me more, pay me more, and I do everything that I possibly can mm-hmm. to ensure that like they feel um, valued and loved. I mm-hmm. think that's even more important. You can make a, a ton of money, but if you if you're not happy, if you don't feel valued by your boss, if you don't feel valued um, by your colleagues, if you don't feel you have a friend at work, all the research shows that your your self fulfillment is not going to be there, and you're not going to be happy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so the money you know, comes and goes. You can make money in a lot of different ways. And I know a lot of my teachers, you know, find different avenues to get different revenue um, and and speak to their own passions. But I don't think that you can sort of pay them, you know, a hundred. There's been studies where, oh, get these best teachers, pay them a hundred thousand dollars and like they'll do great work. I can't say that like it was the money that did that. It was the it was the people and the motivation. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel that way too. I was because I know it's definitely an intrinsic thing for you to even want to become a teacher. It has to be a certain love and mm-hmm. passion. But I always felt like if it was some sort of incentive based system, yeah. which we have now. Okay. Now that now that's, for that's public a, schools too, or just charter schools? No, for, well, for my school specific, specifically, oh, where our region is moving towards performance based pay, because I do believe in that. Right. I do believe that you, when you get to a certain point in your career and your life. Competition is in everything in everything that you do. And so you are going to work harder if you know that, right. like, I can get a 10% raise versus, right. like, this 2% raise. Mm-hmm. I will work a little bit harder, but that doesn't sustain you forever. Mm-hmm. It does incentivize you for a little bit. Right. But it's not the factor that sustains you and, and like, brings you to work every day. Got you. In terms of um, curriculum, you know, being able to have the flexibility to create your own curriculum, um, I, I imagine that, you know, largely there are a lot of children of color that attend your school. 97%. So aside from, aside from like the applied life sciences, like the stuff mm-hmm. that you need, like mm-hmm. math, reading, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what part of the curriculum, um, you know, addresses like, uh, like historical, um, like his historical uh, storytelling or a timeline. Mm-hmm. Cause growing up, like I'm, I was a history major mm-hmm. in college, but mm-hmm. a lot of what I learned about our history, yeah. I learned in college. Yeah, I didn't learn I it in high Same. school, True. Same. which is Same. A, a trans, a really important time in a child's life. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're becoming an adult. You're, you're learning how to deal with people on like a everyday basis for, and whatever you develop in high school is usually who you're going to be like throughout yeah. life. Right. Yeah. So uh, my long-winded question is, you know, in terms of curriculum, what, 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 um, I guess, kind of cultural sensitivities or, or, um, just cultural information is yeah. shared in, in that uh, space? Yeah. So <laughs> I'm I'm super woke, and I'm the first person to walk into my school building and be like, "We the black people, we the best," right? Mm-hmm. And so like I, I mean, I love all my teachers, um, but I think it's important that our students see themselves reflected in who teaches them. And I also think it's important that our students see themselves reflected in our curriculum. And so, you know, it's one thing to to be able to quote Othello and then like Shakespeare and know Charles Dickens and the the quote unquote classics as America has uh, assimilated us to understand. But I think it's 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 you can also find such value in Toni Morrison and Mm. Maya Angelou and the Harlem Renaissance. Like the Harlem Renaissance is one of my favorite times. I, I didn't fall in love with like with history, like in high school, I hated history, but when I went to college, I didn't fall in love with history until I really learned about the the intellectual excellence that existed 
during the Harlem Renaissance, mm. when for the first time America started to see black people as intellects and as artists and as creatives. And I want our kids to have that same experience. And so in terms of our curriculum, I think I, I have the liberty of hiring teachers who, and I'm, I think I'm pretty good at hiring and I'm like my, God has given me a strong spirit of discernment to read people really well. Mm. Uh, even in interviews, I know like the first five minutes whether I'm not, I'm, I'm going to hire you or not. Mm-hmm. And so I hire people who understands that like you our students need to develop a critical consciousness that exists beyond like what we know it to be when we were growing up like we have donald trump as a president Mm -hmm. like that is that is abhorrent that is crazy Mm -hmm. that is like unheard of and the fact that like our kids have to experience that and go through that and i remember the day that it happened like i had to you know I, i stayed up all night i'm writing emails, I'm creating curriculums. I'm like, we can't have regular school. Mm. Our kids need to understand like what this means for our world. And Mm. like teachers are going to be crying. Kids are going to be confused. Like how do you, how do you make sense of this moment? And that's like just one example of like why I think curriculum, why having the freedom to create your own curriculum is so important. Um, But my teachers know that one of my, my, my philosophical beliefs is that like our kids need to know that they are excellent in every way. They need to see themselves reflected in our curriculum. Mm-hmm. We cannot teach them like the, we can't get them bought in in their in their own education if they don't like feel a connection to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's super important that our kids know um, more than just Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Right? They Absolutely. need to understand deeply what Marcus Garvey's philosophy was. Facts. They need My to understand favorite. deeply. You know, they they have to have these experiences, and teachers need to be able to teach it. And I think that comes from a place where where teachers need to understand like who they are in their own identity mm-hmm. and how their kids see their identity. Um, but at the end of the day, like we are all social justice agents, and my, I tell my teachers that all the time. Like we are fighting a war. Mm-hmm. Like our kids are dying left and right. Mm. Like the the the, wor- the world needs educators. The world needs people who are going to go out into and like be the change that they actually want to see in the world. And I know that's super cliche from Gandhi, but like really, I lead from that space because you have to like I tell my black kids, you do have to be better. Unfortunately, that's the the world we live in. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make you a victim. That doesn't mean you can put your head down. You need to wake the hell up and like fight, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 be ten times better. Um, and so we, I lead that way. My teachers understand that I care about that. When I walk into a classroom, um, I need to feel like, like it's culturally relevant. It's responsive to our kids um, and that they're seeing our kids and meeting them where they need to be. Absolutely. Right. Tell us about, I, uh, my bad, bro. Um, before you, I don't know if you was going to transition, but before you just stay on that point a little bit. Um, yeah, because I, I was watching an interview not too long ago with um, um, in the Breakfast Club at Malcolm Gladwell. I want to mm-hmm. hear your opinion on this. And he was yeah. talking about... Um, Basically, having like it's more effective for students to actually have teachers that look like them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, my question is: Do you believe that in that aspect? Where it's like, if you have a teacher that looks like you, it just, it just, it's a little bit more rooted to who you are, and you're able to retain that information just a little bit better. Because from my experience with like, which I'll get to my next question with like teaching kids or whatnot, I kind of had to get down on their level and mm-hmm. bring up cultural. Um, references that I know mm-hmm. they can connect mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Is it a difference for black kids, um, kids of color, Latino kids to have a teacher that looks like them in the classroom? Yeah, there's been a lot of research back and forth about this. And I'm not, I think my, my perspective has changed over the last decade of me being in education. I wrote an article in 2011 um, that, that said uh, Yale versus jail, the black male, black male teachers. 
right? And that, that article was about the difference that black male teachers make. And I do think when you think about the, the, the deficit-based narrative that has been created about the black man, I do think it's important that black men be standing in front of black students. Mm. That I do believe. Um, I think in, in, in terms of, in, in, in response to your question, I think it really comes down to like building relationships and like understanding and, empath and, and empathizing. Like some of the teachers who have come into my life who have really changed my life, many of them weren't black, mm. right? Many of them were not black. They were like little white women, right? Who, who, who may or may not have felt sad for me, right? Like who knows what they were thinking. Um, at this point in my life, I don't really care because they supported me in such a way. Right. Um, I think it's important that they're, they're, that our kids know that difference doesn't equate to deficit. And I think if you create a staff where everyone looks like you, you're not actually preparing our kids for the world, mm -hmm. right? I need to like have this type of t teacher and that type of teacher. Even on my own leadership team, uh, and I love y'all, the Avengers is what we call ourselves. <laughs> um, at, at one point, my leadership team was all women. Mm. And 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 like and you know I'm not you know I'm not gender biased or sexist in any way, but it's also important that like on the school sees that like there are some men who are in leadership and yeah like I'm the principal and like I have the power quote unquote but the people who are doing the work every single day are mm. on the front lines like I'm in meetings I'm like coaching my, my I'm not I don't coach teachers I coach leaders like that's my job I don't step into classrooms too often to coach teachers directly unless I really need to. But my my greatest strength and my capacity is like leveraging my leadership and my strengths through others. And that's how I get results through my six assistant principles. Oh. Um, so I think it's important that our kids understand that difference doesn't equate to deficit and they see the value in diversity and the value in difference. Um, but I also, on the flip side, it's a 50-50 coin, right? You can't, Everyone who, you know, I could walk into like when I first when you first see me, I, I usually I always wear a suit. I never I never really dress like this on so dress down Fridays. The first dress down Friday we have kids are like, yo, Mr. Stevens, you got on Jordans, you got a gold chain on. <laughs> What's up with it? You yeah, got yeah. tattoos. Yeah, I got nine tattoos. Like yeah, I'm a regular human, regular yeah. black kid from the hood. Um, but but when they first see me, they see this dude in a, a, a tailored suit. Mm -hmm. My shoes socks like they, they see like whoa this dude is like who is he he's not really one of us until i'd be like sit the fuck down yeah. <laughs> right like d don't try that with me yeah. um and so it's really it's a, it's less about like the your phenotype and like what people see mm -hmm. and it's really about like what you believe and how you come across and make people invest in you so like mm -hmm. um my next question is how much latitude do you give your teachers right because for my curriculum um i uh i'm teaching the kids about Entrepreneurship and whatnot. Mm -hmm. and I, I could go in the classroom when I realize, and then, you know, we, we go through the basics. You know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. the basics to get into it, but I really like to show them how the social tools you use now can be applied for business and yeah. by for like monetizing different things, different create um, um, creative pursuits you have. Mm -hmm. um, now, if I'm telling them I can go into big words and talk about service based compared to product based mm -hmm. businesses mm -hmm. or whatnot, boom, 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 it's cool. But if I bring up a picture of Rihanna and then talk about how she has Fenty makeup, right? It clicks. Yeah, yeah, they get it. You yeah. know what I mean? How much latitude do you give them, as far, especially as when you're dealing with like kids of color who mm -hmm. are so connected to hip hop culture? Yeah, yeah. Is that a, like, do you feel is that a way, um, a effective way of teaching and communicating with your kids? Yeah. I mean, like, Rita Pearson, um, educator, bless her heart, and may she rest in peace. She was an educator for, for decades, decades, and has a really great TED talk. And one of the phrases I use from that TED Talk with my staff every August when I bring them back for, for, for professional development is you don't learn from people you don't like. 
And so that one phrase, and, and some people will combat me and like, no, that's not true. You learn a lot of things from people you don't like. And yeah, that's true too, but every kid needs an access point. And so what I hear you saying is like, what is the access point that we give to our kids right. that makes them fall in love? I taught math. Uh, like a lot of people don't believe that like they are math people. Like that phrase, I hear kids say it. I hear adults say it all the time. Like, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not a math person. Like I'm, that's not my thing. Um, and I don't necessarily believe it. I believe that you're a math person or a reading person. Like that, that's not how your brain works. You need to exercise your brain because it's a muscle. And like the more you exercise it, the, the, the stronger it gets. Sure. Like you, I think with our, with our, you, you have to, I made kids fall in love with math because of who I was. I would step into a classroom and get so, I would be such a dork about math. Kids knew that like everything is numbers. Math isn't everything. Like money, if you want to make money, I start, I, I remember teaching middle school. I was like, if you want to make money, you need to listen to me, right? Because math is about, money is about math. Um, and that first access point I gave them, they were like, oh, I can listen now. So you do have to give kids those access points. Not everybody can do it, right? Like there are some people who are not um, you know, hip and up to date with hip hop culture, mm -hmm. right? And so, how how does that teacher get kids? Right. They got to get creative. They mm -hmm. got to figure something out. Um, so you do have to give kids access points and give them as much uh, relatability as you possibly can. So, so, so speaking of um, you know, leadership and you know, uh, coaching leaders, tell us a little bit about self. Um, my my company. So self-education, um, Sapphire Educational Leadership and Consulting Firm um, was in, uh, a company I started when I tend to do things, like when I'm, when I guess, quote unquote, sad or when I'm going through something, I'll like detract my attention and do something like totally crazy. Like um, my little brother, Sally, was murdered right before Christmas a couple months ago. Yeah, sorry to hear that. Thank bro. you. And um, out of that came my podcast, Walking Your Excellence, which I know we'll probably talk about. But um, I started self when I was at a crossroads between like really thinking about leaving administration and like following my passion of just like consulting, creating my own schedule. Like it was at a point where I was so tired of like waking up every day and working 16 hours, 17 hours, 18 hours a day mm. just to go to sleep and wake up at 4.45 to do it all over again. Being a principal is an emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically taxing job. Um, because everyone's coming at you. Every parent wants to talk to you. Every student wants to talk to you. Every teacher thinks that like your time, you know, what's uh, the phrase I use now with a lot of people is like, what's a, what's a boulder for you is just a rock for me. Mm. And I know that's hard for you to understand. <laughs> right. Like, like you probably that? couldn't, you probably couldn't deal with my boulders. Right. Mm. But like, I got to get people to understand that they can't, they can't, um, have my time as much. And so I started self, um, and got a couple amazing clients. Um, and what, what self is, is basically going in and um, creating curriculum sometimes is one of my jobs for under that company, um, coaching principles. Um, my my skill set or like my strength would be like culture. What does it mean to create a strong culture in a school building? And so I go and coach a lot of principals on like, here's what culture looks like. Culture is everything from how your building looks to how your teachers feel to mm. what your kids are saying in the hallway to how your bathrooms are kept. Mm. Like culture is created in so many different things. And so um, a large part of what I do is go, I'm actually going to a couple schools um, next month, six schools next month to go and lead seminars on um, leadership. Wow. on coaching other leaders and building strong culture uh, in classrooms. And so that's basically what the company is right now. I also do some life coaching. So I have like four or five clients for, who work for um, Fortune 500 companies and coach them anywhere from financial advice to like uh, personal health, uh, health and wellness. Mm. 
And and tell us a little bit about your podcast as well. Yeah, Walking Your Excellence. <laughs> Walking Your Excellence has probably been the the thing that is um, pushing me every day to work harder. Like I have so I have so much fun with that podcast. I'm sure you guys can relate. Um, just standing behind the mic and getting amazing people on. And um, Walking Walking Your Excellence was created uh, in March of 2018, um, season one. We had amazing guests, Natasha Alfort from The Griot, DeRay McKesson, who everybody knows, um, and my good friend, shout outs to DeRay. Um, a lot of amazing people have come. And so basically, I just like to showcase black excellence. And so every episode is literally like, how are you contributing to the world? How are you leaving your mark? What is your legacy? Talk to us about your struggles and how you overcame them. Um, and so I think it's important that like, I exist to tell other people's stories and give them a platform for people's stories to be told and heard because there are so many amazing black people in this world Mm -hmm. who are doing so many great things and either are getting recognized for it or aren't getting recognized for it. And so that podcast for that 45 minutes, you give that person the opportunity to share their story and share their life with the world. And that's content that's forever created and will never, ever, ever, ever go anywhere. Uh, and so that's what Walking Walking Excellence is about at the end of every show. Um, and I got just recently got it tattooed on my body. At the end of every show, uh, I say, define who you are, follow your passion, speak your truth, be unapologetically you, and always remember to walk in your excellence. Uh, and so my kids, when I first came up with the phrase, kids are like, oh, Mr. Stevens, look at you. You got that fly suit on. You walking in your excellence. Uh-huh. And it started to like click. And everyone started to say, I'm walking in your excellence. And then people were making jokes like, yo, you walking your mediocrity right now. <laughs> yo, you're not even walking at all. And so like, I, like all those things started to like happen with my kids. And I'm like, oh, this could be a thing. Uh, and so um, I have T-shirts now, tank tops. The summer line was just released. Um, sweatshirts uh, that can be purchased at lifestyleofexcellence.com. Um, it's on my podcast is on iTunes, it's on Stitcher. It's going through the final stages to be on Spotify, Google Play. Um, and it's, it's just, it's everything. So next month I launched season two with some amazing, amazing guests. Um, and season three, we just started recording, which is a lot of sort of, uh, conversation. So I'm inviting like three, four or five people into the studio, um, just to have conversations about the most important pressing, um, most important pressing topics for, for our people. Nice. In terms of, uh, this is one question I, I wanted to ask, um, for, for individuals who aren't, you know, immediately blessed with the gift of communication, especially mm. when it comes to children, um, what are what are some steps that somebody can, you know, take to I- increase their wherewithal in, in communicating with children effectively Yeah, to be able to, you know, uh, because a lot of times, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up in West Indian household. Do mm-hmm. your work. Like, I don't know yeah. what the fuck that means. Like, right, you know right, right. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I would go to school every day, you know, <laughs> but was it like really mm-hmm. penetrating? How, how, how is, uh, what are some tools or techniques that somebody can do to, you know, acclimate themselves to speaking to children? Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a good question. I need to, I can turn that into a whole presentation mm-hmm. and I think about it. So thank you for that. Um, I think the first, the first step to, to active communication, I think, is active listening um, and responding. A lot, of, a lot of people who I see are struggle with kids and struggle with, like, classroom management and can't really connect with kids is because they're not really, they're not really listening and trying to, like, hear what the kid is saying. And you can't, and that's not just, like, auditory, right? It's not just oral listening. I'm talking about like, what is the body language of this kid right now? What is the physical affect of this student? And so if you are going to be able to effectively communicate with a kid, you have to fully understand their entire existence. You have to see that when homeboy has his head down or has his headphones on, right? And you know that we have five checkpoints to make sure that headphones are out of students' ears and he still got to your classroom with his headphones on, 
something is up. He is blatantly being d defiant, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know what happened to him prior to him getting into school building. How can you, you, you can't attack him for a sixth time and be like, I know you need to take your headphones off because then what's going to happen? The kid's going to blow up right. and then you're calling the dean of students and then you're calling Mr. Stevens and you write me emails and you're not letting the kid back in your class because he just said, fuck you. Like all of those things are a problem except for what, what could have been taking place in that moment to communicate with that kid. is like, hey, are you good? Is everything all right? And that kid will either say yes or no. And then you can make an, a, an active choice in that moment. Right. And a, a lot of teachers, um, a lot of people in general, right. This is not even just about kids. The way you communicate is just like listening and feeling and reading a person and understanding like what where they are. And you have to meet them where they are in order to get them to where they need to go. Uh, and so my biggest advice for teachers, one, is to listen to our students, because I think sometimes we think we are. Uh, there was a, a theory many years ago about education about being like a bank deposit and like teachers were just, you know, the brain would open and we would deposit knowledge in like we are the all knowers. And that's not how the world works. That's not how education works. That's not how communication or learning works. Mm -hmm. Everything is collaboration. Everything is critical thinking. Everything is productive struggle. Everything is going back and forth, forth, debating, justifying, evaluating, critiquing. Like that's what communication is about. And so if you want to take that first step, you have to open up your heart and your mind uh, and your ears to listen to what kids are saying. Fire. So um, you're on Driven Minds podcast, yes, and uh, we ask all of our guests this uh, esteemed question. Mm -hmm. It's possibly the greatest question on the face of possibly. the planet. <laughs> <laughs> what what drives you? What gives you that uh, mojo to get up in the morning every morning at four forty five? Because mm -hmm. if I wake up and see four forty five, I just laugh <laughs> and uh, go back to sleep and go back till six thirty. No, but like, what, what what gives you that that energy to uh, press on? Um, I get this question a lot, actually, and I never have a real profound answer, except that what drives me is knowing that, you know, in 10 years, all the craziness that I do at my school, the kid is going to be like, oh, I remember what Mr. Stevens said. And this made me, this made me better. This made me stronger. This made me ready for this situation. Um, when I was able to, when I, every year when I hand my kids their diploma, like to know the amount of black children who never get to walk across that stage mm -hmm. and to know that every year I hand 100% of my students their diploma and get them to college and open up doors and, and access and capital, both social and intellectual mm -hmm. uh, capital that, that they could have never had before then, that is what drives me. To know that you're going to go to college and persevere and push through and productively struggle and come out to give back to your community, to come back to your city, to give back to your family, that, that is what drives me. And so my short answer is that kids really do drive me. Um, our, our, our students need us. Our black and brown babies are dying left and right. Mm -hmm. And if we are not, it, it, if we are not, it's a call to arms. If we are not like doing something about it, then we are not doing anything for our world. There you go. Profound. There you have it, ladies where, and gentlemen. Where can we uh, find you on the socials? Content? Yeah, so so I just got into Instagram. Um, I went viral. 
recently. Oh, yeah. You just got oh, yeah, I peeped that. I went viral that. a couple right. different so times. People been He's trying their whole life room, to go y'all. viral. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I'm excited. I'm excited to like. I'm. I'm. You know, Instagram is an interesting place. You. You. <laughs> I'm like. It. Ever since I went, di- I'm viral. People in my DMs. Yeah, I can't crazy. keep up. It's like requests, and I'm not very tech savvy. You know, I was you never so out like, here with booking information. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is real cool right now. You know. Then then I did the shiggy and got another forty thousand views. You know, I just dropped one this morning. Sierra, you haven't um, shouted me out yet, so I'm going to wait for that. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, you can find me at Formula22. Um, that's F O R M U L A T T two two right now, brother. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Formula twenty two. My website is uh, seanlarry.com. That's www.seanlarry.com. Um, Twitter is Formula twenty two. Everything is Formula Formula twenty two. Got you. All right. That's what's Don't up, man. Yeah. Happy to have you Take on the podcast. Yeah, this is awesome. This Pleasure. is awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. We need you. You guys too. This is a great platform. You have to keep doing it. And open up the space for people. Right. Definitely. Like we always say this time, they driven. They driven, y'all. <laughs>